the First Christian Church of Tiefen brings you the good news Well, I've entitled my sermon today, take off on last week as we did city sidewalks, busy sidewalks. Today I'm going in the air, there's a feeling of Christmas. But before we get to that, would you join me in prayer, please? Holy God and Father above, we rejoice for the Word of God and what it teaches us. And I pray today as we look into this uh, scripture in Isaiah, and Luke, that we'll understand you in a better way and why you do the things you do. And some of the things, Lord, that can be overlooked this time of year and how they really do affect us. And, and it should excite us, Lord, uh, when we hear some of these things proclaimed about Jesus. So I thank you for the opportunity this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we will all have our uh, ears to hear. And I praise you and give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Christmas memories, we all have them, don't we? Some are good, some maybe not so good. But nevertheless, Christmas is a time of feelings and memories. I remember at Christmas time around the house where I grew up was always a time of anticipation and excitement. Soon after Thanksgiving, the Christmas tree was put up and with all the decoration and lights. Then Mom would break out all the old Christmas records of Bing Crosby and Elvis Presley and Perry Como. And then you knew there was a feeling of Christmas in the air when Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Charlie Brown Christmas was on TV. And no matter how many times I saw them, I still wanted to watch them. And the truth be told, I have them in my DVD collection. I still watch them, and I'm 63 years old. It still feels like Christmas when you get to watch Rudolph and Charlie Brown. And then a couple of weeks before Christmas, the presents would start showing up under the tree, and I was never one to really go snooping around the house for my presents, and I still don't. But I do remember one year, my two brothers found some of my presents before they were wrapped and woke me up to show me, and don't you know, I got in trouble just like they did, and Mom and Dad threatened that they were going back to the store. But still on Christmas morning, there they were, wrapped up, and we got to open our presents. And at our home, we would gather around the Christmas tree at night and play I Spy. And you'd look at something and say, I spy something that starts with this letter. And then the rest would have to try to guess what that was. You see, all these things added to the anticipation of Christmas morning. Christmas memories as a child. Then I married my lovely wife, Liani. And I remember our first Christmas was in Puerto Rico. And she had wrapped this huge present for me. It was about this big and round and about this high. And it's like, really? I had no idea what it was. And it was under the tree for like two or three weeks. And I'm like, she said, you can't guess what it is. And I tried, but I could not guess. Finally, that morning, I opened up this big, bright red beanbag chair of all things. And our memories as a new couple away from home started a new life together. And the memories, the excitement, the anticipation of Christmas has grown over the years as we have memories of many Christmas mornings watching our two sons and, and now our grandchildren enjoy that wonderful day. And I'm sure you have many wondrous memories of your own. I also remember for many years on TV was the Bob Hope Christmas special. You remember that? Yeah. And he would always sing the song Silver Bells with one of his female co-stars. And I love the line from the song, Silver Bells, that says, In the air there's a feeling of Christmas. Listen to the words. 
city sidewalks, busy sidewalks, dressed in holiday style. In the air, there's a feeling of Christmas. Children laughing, people passing, meeting smile after smile. And on every street corner, you'll hear silver bells, silver bells. It's Christmas time in the city. Ding-a-ling, hear them ring. Soon it will be Christmas Day. <laughs> you know, that's an unmistakable feeling at Christmas. The feeling of anticipation. And during the days leading up to Christmas, expectations run high, but will it be able to deliver on all the hype? As I age, I'm sorry to say that Christmas doesn't always live up to my expectations anymore. Not that I don't enjoy it or find it incredibly meaningful. Each one seems to be full of all the things that Christmas should be and so much more. We gather together with our son and his wife Amanda now and our grandchildren. It's a joyous time of gift giving uh, and gift opening and enjoying the morning and sharing in each other's company. But after a couple hours, all the packages have been opened. You look around the room and what do you see? A pile of ripped up wrapping paper, bows strewn here and there, empty boxes in a heap, and all of a sudden you realize it's over for another year. And you sit and wonder, where did the time go so quickly? After all that buildup, all that anticipation, all that work and preparation, all that shopping and wrapping and in a matter of minutes is all over. Is that all there is to it? Christmas is over, gone like a vapor or mist. Back at our house, the decorations would eventually get put away. The ones Liani and I are, or the family took so much time and delight in putting up just a few short weeks ago. And you know what I'm talking about. Suddenly the house feels so empty. Where did the air go? That air that carried the feeling of Christmas. You see, the holiday is still incredibly fun, so why so sad? Maybe the problem is my expectations. Am I really so naive to think there actually will be literally peace on earth? Am I so foolish that I expect gifts and material things to make me happy? Perhaps I'm somehow expecting, hoping against all hope, that I'll magically become young again and go back to those days of my youth. And maybe I'm expecting to return to those days as a child when life was so simple and free of complications. And I wonder, where's this Christmas of my dreams? Will Christmas ever deliver on my expectations again? Or, or will it come and go more quickly each year? And maybe like me, you wonder about similar things too. In a flash, it's over. But what did we expect? For Christmas to last forever? And I think maybe somewhere deep in my heart of hearts, I do. I'd like it to last forever. So I want to talk about two things about the anticipation of Christmas. Then maybe it'll help us make it last much longer. The first one is this. It's the sky-high expectations. 
You know, a rather large portion of the Bible deals with a group of people who had sky-high expectations. They were the Jews, the nation of Israel, God's people. And by the time of Isaiah, the Jewish monarchy was in ruins. After 586 B.C., most of them had been carted off by their captors to live in a foreign land. Yet they knew they had been given a promise. And we talked about that last week. A promise that someone was coming, the servant of the Lord. And as last week we read in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Someone was coming. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, we read, For a child will be born to us, a, a Son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. A ruler was coming, a king! They used a special word to refer to this long-awaited person. And that word was Messiah. Messiah, which means anointed one or specially chosen one. In Greek, Messiah is synonymous with the name Christos, from which we get the word Christ. And when he, this Messiah or Christ came, he would do some amazing things. And in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3, which was written sometime before 681 B.C., the prophet foresees this Messiah and speaks for him. And it says in chapter 61, verses 1 through 3, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Wow. And while the most hopeful among the people of Israel and Judah envisioned one day taking back their homeland and recovering their independence, Isaiah's vision scoffed at such puny, pint-sized dreams. Under the spirit-filled leadership of this new ruler, there will be no more than just a return to a homeland. There will be a different world. This new ruler would usher in a new day, a new year, the year of the Lord's favor. And the language suggests a reference to the ancient Jewish principle of Jubilee. In Leviticus chapter 25, God says that after every 50 years, there is to be a year when the prisoners and slaves are set free, a year when land is returned to its original owners, a year when all debts are canceled. Now, that would be pretty nice on December 26th. Huh? It was a great idea, but there is no evidence that the year of Jubilee was ever celebrated seriously. So God says, what you won't do, I will do. 
with the Messiah, I will bring the year of the Lord's favor. In Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, it tells us, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, the tongue of the dumb will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. And some among the Jews who would return from captivity, there was a feeling in the air. There was a feeling of expectation. It is difficult for us to imagine just how intense the anticipation of the Messiah was among the Jewish communities. Now many of you have probably seen the movie Castaway, where Tom Hanks is stranded alone on an island. And the film does a good job of showing his intense longing for the day when he will be rescued. He has a small picture of his fiancée, which he looks at every single day. Year after year, hoping and hoping and hoping, he will see her again. Although he had never received a promise that he would. At least the stranded nations of Israel and Judah had a promise to keep them going. And through their own sinfulness, they had faced oppressors and captors, yet they were still God's people. They cried out for God's help. They received God's favor for deliverance. Even after they returned to captivity around 430 B.C., they again were quickly under the reign of another oppressive dictator. And so among the Jewish community, expectancy for deliverance ran high. And perhaps in their hearts, they longed. Come, Messiah, come! Rescue us! Deliver us! Bring jubilee! Now I have to ask ourselves this. Where's our sky-high expectations? They were waiting for the Messiah to come. It's crazy when the Messiah came, they had all these signs. They knew the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They knew he'd be born of a virgin. They knew a lot of things. And he came, and so many denied it. That leads me to my point for us. Our sky-high expectations, where are they? Do we have them? Jesus is coming! <laughs> We're waiting. The promise. We're just waiting for it to be fulfilled. Do we have high sky expectation or sky high expectation, whatever you prefer, that Jesus is coming back? And are we living our life in such a way with that same excitement? Just a thought. We should be. Because we don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know. I can't stand here today and tell you when, what day it's going to happen. Neither can you. But it doesn't shake our sky-high expectations, or it shouldn't. What happened then many years later, after Isaiah? Well, God said, guess what? Here come the birth announcements. It's time. You see, the goods are delivered. If you recall last week, the promise of the Messiah in Matthew 1.21, She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. And then many years later, we see a man named John the Baptist. He's been preaching about the coming Messiah. And when he sees a man named Jesus, he tells the crowd listening to them, and I don't doubt John took the time to point 
So they knew who he was talking about. That guy right over there, you see him? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's him right there. John baptizes Jesus, and then in Luke chapter 4, it begins. Immediately, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the desert, where he is tempted by Satan for 40 days. And here's the very next thing that Luke reads. In Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. And so he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And as and he was handed the book of prophet Isaiah. Imagine that. <laughs> and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Whoa! He read Isaiah 61, the words of the Messiah, and he tells them, what you've been waiting for is here. The scriptures come true before your very eyes. You see, he's saying in the air there's a feeling. A feeling of expectancy that has brought you to this moment of realization. It's time to celebrate. It's a holiday. The year of the Lord's favor has arrived. You see, Jesus delivered the goods. He's performing miracles. News about him is spreading all over. Yet, just three chapters later, John the Baptist is in prison. And he's wondering if his expectations were too high. And in Luke chapter 7, 18 to 19, we read this. And the disciples of John reported to him all about all these things. And he summoned two of his disciples. And John sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the expected one? Or do we look for someone else? And perhaps John wonders, man, after all that buildup, is this all we get? I thought you were going to be the great ruler or a king. I thought you were going to bring back Jubilee. Well, Jubilee hasn't exactly entered my life. Look at me. I'm stuck in a prison of a regime I thought you'd overthrow. And this was supposed to be the year, man. What a letdown. And we can see that there were many Jews who had, been, had these great expectations for what Jesus should be doing. And they weren't afraid to Put it out there. I thought you were supposed to be the king. You're going to overthrow Rome. You're going to set things in order. You're going to be on David's throne. This is all we What? You don't even have an army. Is this your army? These 12 guys? You can't even get them to be united together. They're always arguing about who's the greatest. Maybe some of us can relate. The feeling of disappointment and of unrealized expectations. If you're a big sports fan, each year there's only one champion crowned. And if it's not your team, well then you have uttered those same words as so many others. You know what those words are? Well, there's always next year. Now surely I'm not the only one who said that. 
Maybe I am the only one who said that. There's always next year. The Chicago Cubs hadn't won a championship uh, since from 1908 until they finally won one in 2016. <laughs> they broke through after 108 years without a championship. And in all those years, there had been a lot of hype about the Cubbies. Hey, maybe this will be our year. They started out with a bang. They played great and got through June and July. And what happened? Things were looking good. And then all of a sudden, there was a big letdown. And by the fall, by the fall, the team can't even live up to the summertime hype. Now, I'm sorry if I have any Cubby fans here that you have felt the pain. <laughs> and then those immortal words are spoken. How many times? Well, there's always next year. So far, the Messiah hadn't lived up to expectations. And it seems John's confidence is shaken that maybe this isn't the guy. There's a feeling in the air, and now it's gone. But was Jesus really a letdown? In Luke 7, it goes on to say in verse 20 through 23, And when the man had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying this, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? And that very time he cured many people, diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many who were blind. He answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. A letdown? No. The good news of Isaiah 61 had arrived. Hope for the brokenhearted and the poor. It was still jubilee, and maybe John was just thinking too small. Isaiah 61 had spoken of freedom and release. Freedom for the captives. Release from the darkness for the prisoners. Jesus was bringing just that. And for those who were locked in the prisons of self-destruction, Jesus brought liberation from sin and all its consequences. What he would do on the cross in giving his life for humanity would bring freedom of a magnitude that no one had could ever have dreamed. And many of you here have received that freedom. You know what it, what it, uh, you know it wasn't going to come from anywhere else. Now Isaiah 61 had also spoken of comfort, comfort for those who mourn. That is from the effects of sin. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, "Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted." Specifically, Isaiah said the Messiah would bring a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And those are beautiful images. They show that Jesus will exactly replace the hurt with the remedy. And the Jews knew that during times of mourning, ashes were speared on the head, and Jesus replaced those ashes with a crown. A crown of beauty applies to the head, the cure given directly to the place of need. And to bring the new life of gladness instead of mourning, the infusion of a heart of praise to replace despair and depression. And many of you have received the crown of beauty replacing your ashes and you know how desperately you needed it. And that's what Jesus came to do. And John the Baptist's expectations weren't too high. They were too low. Only the real Messiah could deliver these kinds of results. 
And so as we live amid the tremendous build-up for another December holiday, we may rightly wonder, will Christmas live up to my expectations? Will it be everything I want it to be and more? Will the air that carries the feeling of Christmas deliver on all the hype? To conclude, let me share with you a quote from C.S. Lewis's famous work, The Weight of Glory, because he captures some of the longings we have for Christmas. This is what he says. Ah, but we want so much more. Something the books on aesthetics take little notice of, but the poets and mythologies know about. We do not merely want to see beauty, though God knows that is bounty enough. We want something else that can hardly be put into words, to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. That is why the poets tell us such lovely falsehoods. They talk as if the west wind could really sweep into a human soul, but it can't. They tell us that the beauty born of a murmuring sound will pass into a human face, but it won't. Or at least not yet. The door on which we have been knocking all our lives will open at last. You know, maybe all my life I've been expecting too much out of Christmas and not enough out of Jesus Christ. Christmas itself cannot deliver all our heart's desires. But the Bible says Jesus can So what are our expectations at Christmas this year? What kind of feeling is in the air? Christ can deliver a holiday to your home that never fades away. One that doesn't get boxed up and stored away for another year. But rather one that applies the healing to your life. Directly in the places where you hurt. One that sets you free. Would you like to have something to celebrate every day? Invite Jesus into your home. And you'll see what I mean. He wants to be a part of your life and has so many gifts to give you. Leonie shared a thought with me this morning. You know, she's dealing with grief and passing of her dad. And the hurt for her sister. She said she was thinking this morning these very things but she thought about this time of year. That Christmas is only a week away. She said, Tom, why do so many people focus on the joy of the birth of Jesus when that was just a moment? So many people focus on the birth when the thing that was most important is the life that Jesus gives to each and every one of us when he died on that cross. We can only get people to recognize that's what this holiday is all about. It wasn't about him being born, but why he was born. You think about it. We celebrate a birthday every year, don't we? Whether we like it or not, somebody's going to remember our birthday and remind us of it. And you'll say, oh, I don't want to be reminded that I'm turning 64 or whatever it is. And that'll be my birthday next, just a few months. 64, oh my goodness. And some of you are laughing at me because you're 
Just a couple of years past that. <laughs> Do you ever think there are certain things? That, oh, we know Jesus was born to a virgin. In the town of Bethlehem, he was laid in a manger. All those things were prophesied. The shepherds went. They saw it. there was a star in the sky. Eventually, the Magi came, however many there were. And they went and visited Jesus in a house. They bowed down and worshipped him. And they left. What day was Jesus born? From the biblical standpoint, who knows? We don't know. It wasn't the May. Let me just put it this way: it really is a good chance it wasn't December twenty fifth. <laughs> It's exactly, it's probably more in the March-April time frame because the shepherds were out in the field watching the flock. They wouldn't have been there in December. It was too cold. My point is this. God doesn't tell us when Jesus' birthday is. Man chose a day many, many years ago because of a pagan holiday that the, the Christians were celebrating. They wanted to get the, the Christians focused on Christ. So they came up with the day for the birth of Jesus. My point is, we don't know and God didn't care to tell us. And I don't think the birthday is that important. If we lose, we lose the focus on why he came. You say, see, my sky high expectations, God's delivered. The goods have been delivered, but my Sky high expectations need to be on why Jesus came and that he's coming back. A whole lot more the fact that he was born. That prophecy's been fulfilled. But he still made a promise to me and you that Jesus is returning. And that needs to be our focus every day. That we're living our life in such a way that when Jesus comes back, we're ready to go. I'll be, I hear the trumpet. I'm gonna, I think if I get, I'm going to start jumping just to make sure I get a little head start. That's how excited we should be that Jesus comes back. If you don't have Jesus in your life, I invite you to come this morning. Let me sit down and tell you how you can become a Christian. How you can, by faith, begin your Christian life. By repenting and confessing the name of Jesus and being baptized by immersion into Christ. And then watch how your life changes. Let's stand, if you would, and sing the hymn of invitation this morning. We're going to do just this one verse. O come, O come, Emmanuel, page 186. Come, O come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel That mourns in lonely exile here Until the Son of God appear Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel Shall come to thee, O Israel. Heavenly Father, we're truly grateful for the opportunity today to be together, to share together, to learn together, 
to remember your son around his table, to pray and to lift up our voices as one to praise you and to read the word of God. And I pray, Lord, our expectations will truly be sky high about the returning of Jesus. That's what, Lord, we're looking forward to when Jesus will return again. So I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful opportunity we have. Truly, this is a wonderful time of year. We remember the birth of Christ, and it gets the people's minds focusing on Jesus. But as your church, Lord, I pray that we will take those words and share with others and let them know the real reason Jesus was born, that they might know eternal life and forgiveness of their sins. So we thank you, Lord, and pray you'll keep us safe as we go from this place today. Help us, Lord, to truly allow our light to shine and allow the Word of God to go out into the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.